I feel like I need to add one more segment in after I have recorded. There are potential spoilers ahead. So I would really love for you to listen to my talk about Operation Ocelot. I could definitely use the feedback from the zeitgeist, uh, your collective brains, to see what you think of my adventure that I'm trying to develop, um, Operation Ocelot. Um, but it, if you ever want to play in it, well, it could be a spoiler. Maybe you won't play in it. It's Octon Cthulhu. You might not like that game, but I appreciate you listening. That'd be great. Uh, for the Firebrands game, well, it's not really a spoiler because everything is sort of randomly generated at the table, and it, the story can take the form of anything. So it's not really a spoiler for that segment. But if you ever play Magical Kitty Save the Day and want to play the Mars Colony book, it's sort of a spoiler, but also that game is a sandbox. So again, the GM can come up with a number of stories from that uh, from that game. It's a very simple mechanic anyway. Um, so I don't know, but I feel perhaps that I should have, I should put a spoiler wheeling, a spurter water. I'm starting to talk like, like free thrall with my, anyway, a spoiler warning uh, for those of you who appreciate that. Anyway, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to the GMologist Presents. This one may or may not be a short one, depending on how long I ramble. But I just wanted to talk about the three games I played. Well, one of which I ran, and two of which I played as a player. I played in all of them, because right, the, the GM is also a player, correct? In any case, these I ran or played. Ran or played as a player. Wow, that's pretty hard. Anyway... <laughs> Three games I played, let's say, um, at this event called Forward Fest, run by Forward RPG, which is a collection of GMs who run a variety of games in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and Central Texas. It's pretty cool. We don't uh, get money to play. It's a nonprofit organization, and uh, any money that they do make goes back into supporting games and uh, other things. I'm sure they have various causes that they give to. But I know it's a nonprofit, and it's really fun to be a part of. So any case, so they wanted to get together and do this thing called Forward Fest. So invite people who are associated with Forward uh, RPG and then you know their friends to come and run and play games. So this was up in Dallas, and we played at Common Ground Games up in, off of Inwood uh, Road in Dallas. So kind of central, north central Dallas. And it's a really awesome gaming store. I should actually put, uh, I'm putting Forward RPG and what they believe in, and you could sign up or, prete or pretend, or sign up to be a GM if you want in your various region. It doesn't matter. I know they have another quote unquote, I don't know if it's chapter is the right word, but I will just say quote unquote chapter um, in California somewhere, or is it Seattle? I don't know, on the West Coast. And uh, they're always looking to add more GMs who believe in their sort of forward GM philosophy, uh, which is really to be, you know, run the games, run them honestly, run them with the players having fun and everyone at the table having fun in mind, which I think is pretty cool. So uh, I, like I said, I played in three games. The first game I ran, and that was an Octoon Cthulhu game called Operation Ocelot. I will also say that forward GM really 
while everyone knows that the world's most popular game, Dungeons and Dragons, is very prevalent, Forge Gem tries to play lots of other, uh, lots of different games, including indie games, including uh, games uh, in the OSR, including you know, games that are you know, classic D&D to newer versions of Dungeons and Dragons, and not necessarily the WotC D&D, which has really, you know, truth be told, has taken over the gaming hobby by storm with Adventures League and other things. So, so they run a lot of different games. And I was able to run uh, sort of a play test that I'm calling Operation Ocelot. That's the running title. I don't know if that'll be the final title, but it is a for Octon Cthulhu. So Octon Cthulhu is uh, World War II fighting against the Nazis and Cthulhu and Mythos, preventing them from gaining power through the Mythos, really. And uh, I set this game, Operation Ocelot, in the Caribbean in Costa Rica during the Battle of the Caribbean. This is where the Nazi U-boats were attempting to sink uh, Allied shipping in the Caribbean to prevent trade over into Europe and to cause general havoc. So in the uh, previously, I've run this. I run this. At, I ran this at BSRCon, and it went really well. But I took lessons from what I learned at BSRCon and applied them to this game. Also, it's very different running it live. And I had made uh, like I, I printed out all the little uh, tokens and cut them out. Well, Amy actually cut them out. I can't cut straight, but Amy helped me cut them out. And I had a lot of handouts to show to the players and was prepared to do if necessary, you know, like a whiteboard if we needed like combat or like a kind of tactical type of combat. So, uh, so I, thought it was, it, I thought it went really well at uh, Forward Fest. What I did is I changed the intro scene to putting them on a torpedo boat, the USS Erie, uh, or patrol boat, the USS Erie. And that, that uh, boat's mission was to patrol and combat uh, German submarines. So, and I did have a scene where uh, I get asked the players to give an intro of what they're doing uh, on and about the ship, what the ship was. I gave them their mission that they had gotten two days earlier in Belize City, and they're about a day out from their destination, Puerto Limon in Costa Rica. And um, so, so then I had them introduce themselves, and then I had them beat to quarters or there was this, the ship, the USS Erie, beat to quarters, and then the players went to in various locations because a U-boat was servicing nearby, which was a little odd. The U-boat was being attacked by what the players recognized as Deep Ones and some sort of servant serpent under the control of the Deep Ones. Uh, I kind of made it akin to like a uh, discolored or off-color, uh, darker, shadowy, uh, scaled, shadow-scaled, uh, roosterfish. I don't know if you look up roosterfish, you know, it's this giant like eel that lives in the depths of the ocean. So anyway, so they um, they actually didn't engage. They fired at the U-boat, um, and I I didn't know what was going to happen. I wanted to give players agency, and in the scene, I want them to give them agency to see if they will how they will deal with the strange situation. It's kind of a red herring, but I'm thinking of integrating it more into the story. Um, and I'll get to that. So then they get to Puerto Limon, and then they have a fun encounter. Uh, they, again, like both times the party split because they're one of the one of the party members is this guy named uh, David Gregg or Dan Dan Gregg or something, and he has mafia connections. Uh, so he the players in both times asked, "Oh, will there be any of ma any mafia in Puerto Limon?" Um, and sure, why not? Uh, he let the players run with it. So half the party went to go. Uh, uh, talk to the mafia 
and maybe gain supplies and intel about the interior in Costa Rica and the smuggling operations there and see what they knew about Nazi activity. And the other two went uh, to meet their contact and get supplies for the journey inland. And both times I'd had like, um, so both times I had a twist and what, uh, what happened was a fight in Puerto Limon against uh, SS troopers. And I thought it went really well. Uh, both times is pretty cool. It does show that Octon Cthulhu is quite deadly. So some players took, took wounds. Uh, if you take X number of wounds uh, and a small number of wounds at it, actually, uh, then you, you're defeated. Uh, you're not necessarily killed. Uh, that's up to what the players decide if they defeat an opponent and the opponents decide if they defeat a player. Uh, usually it ends up being sort of capture. It's a pulp game, right? So a pulp-minded game. So it's not, death is not necessarily the end result of a defeat. Uh, so it was both times the players have loved the interaction and the fight um, when, it, when it came to it, or both groups, that is, uh, really enjoyed the interaction um, in Puerto Limon and sort of fighting the storm, uh, the SS uh, trooper station there. So I thought it, was, it went really well. They went into the interior. They found some clues along the way. They get to this hidden uh, Nazi airbase and they see that these two Nazi uh, groups, which are really rivals, these occult groups, not Wolf and Black Sun, are fighting it out for control of this airbase. Their mission was to destroy the airbase, destroy any way to get whatever these groups, one of these groups, they didn't know which group was involved in, um, in their initial mission briefing. Just some Nazi occult group had been spotted in that area and was doing something. They had a plan. So, uh, so they, they blow up the tower. They blow up the base. They're pretty sneaky about it. And this happened in both games. Uh, there is definitely chances for complications to happen, um, but the player characters avoided the complications. So um, they could have engaged a Black Sun and or Not Wolf Troopers. And then uh, they did see like there was a path and they had gotten intel. They had actually captured an SS uh, a trooper and interrogated him. They captured the person who betrayed him in Puerto Limon and interrogated them. And they found out they found out that Not Wolf was doing something further in the interior at this old uh, pre-Columbian brewing site. So that's where the player characters wanted to go after this, after they kind of uh, demolished uh, some a couple planes and the tower and excitedly uh, stole the German half track. So they have like this uh, jungle truck, you know, typical, say, World War II era jungle truck. Uh, and then with big tires, you know, and then they have a half track, an SF, uh, SF, SFKZ, like a, probably like a SFK one, SFKZ 120, the one with the uh, MG 34 on it. So they got a machine gun. Uh, the characters load up in it. Uh, um, and uh, head to the interior, further into the interior, up the mountains and over the jungles towards a pre-Columbian, uh, over the mountains and through the jungle, that is, uh, to this pre-Columbian site. On the way, though, they encounter like a stormtrooper, which is like a German mecha, so the kind of lieutenant or big boss potentially in the area. Uh, they decide to engage like in the, like as they go up, up the side of the mountain on these switchbacks, uh, the stormtrooper like leaps and attacks them. Um, it's a really cool fight. Uh, players really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a kind of a tough fight, but the player characters with gunfire and using, you know, ramming into the sort of German mecha um, uh, was ended up really being a really cool fight. Then they get to the site and they see that the Not Wolf is trying to dig using their sort of weird science 
diggers, you know, like laser diggers to dig into this mound um, and the player characters stop it. And there's, they get a rumbling. So what I did is I, I kind of added, oh, I, I kind of, here's where I added like the sort of deep one angle. And then I had this, I had one of the players uh, knew about forbidden knowledge, uh, kind of really uh, leaned into that, saw that, um, that there were this area, this isthmus was once underwater and this could have been an old, um, you know, an old uh, deep one temple or something. Uh, very odd architecture, although many, much of it eroded, uh, but, um, and strange Ichthian-themed um, sigils everywhere, symbols. So, uh, so then there's a rumbling and an earthquake, and I did this really cool thing that I learned from Shea Webster uh, one time when I played in a Traveler game, like a countdown mechanic that he uses, where if you roll like a cer over a certain number, you have a dice, pull a dice, and if you roll a certain numbers, then you take the dice off, usually like five or six, right? So you start taking the dice off and the players kind of realize, you know, um, metagaming that there's a countdown, something's gonna happen unless they do something. So the player characters try to prevent it. And eventually, uh, so really there's like this, so a Cthulhu monster buried under here that the Germans want to cap, you know, release, capture, control, uh, what have you. And the player characters, uh, realized that and then uh, instead of waiting for it to pop up and fight it they decided to perform a ritual there's a couple of cultists in the group perform a ritual to stop uh to calm the creature down and because they had this black book they were able to do that so it turned out really well had a great time uh, running this game and i'm hoping um so the cool thing is that modifius 2d20 they have like a world builder program and you can kind of create Octoon Cthulhu scenarios, submit them, and then they'll put them on drive-through. So that's the end goal for this, and I hope I can do it. I got a couple iterations, tests in the books, and kind of got to sit down and write it up, distill my notes, all the things that are that are written, handwritten in my journal, and uh, write them up. So anyway, so that is uh, Operation Ocelot. A few more things to add to Operation Ocelot, just some tidbits I forgot uh, when I was recording, but Amy played in it. It's always good to have a ringer in your game. She had not played Operation Ocelot before, but had played Octon Cthulhu. I had uh, some players who thought, oh, Cthulhu, but didn't have never played uh, Octon Cthulhu. And one player who'd played Modifius 2D20 and had Octon Cthulhu was very intrigued by it, but had never run it or played it. And, uh, I think they had a lot of fun. So Amy played uh, Corporal Sarah Rogers, who um, is Australian commando. And this character has a dog named Crook. And yes, Crook got to take down a couple Nazis. So uh, that was very satisfying. Um, I thought it was the, the coolest thing that happened at the table was there was this one player. There were two, we had two occultists in the group. One, uh, a Daphne, Agent Daphne Rogers, British-born scholarly occultist, um, kind of almost a leader co-leader of the of the admission group uh a member of uh section m which is a british sort of special forces that deals with the occult and then another one named sven nielsen who was a, a norwegian resistance fighter also an occult occultist 
the greatest, one of the coolest expressions was when uh, Nielsen first cast the Hammer of Thor against a couple of German SS, and uh, they both got, they were toasted, they were annihilated. It's a pretty powerful spell. And he took him out and he was like, whoa, I guess I got some cool powers. So, so it's good. It's neat to see that at the table, that kind of expression and engagement that they really thought that what they did was cool and weren't expecting it. So, um, so it had fun. Also, you know, the, <laughs> the player characters ramming into the uh, mech was really fun or, and machine gunning, uh, the storm troop, the storm trooper, which was, you know, the, uh, German mech, uh, not wolf mech. So it was really fun. We had a great time. So, so the next game I played was run by Eric Babin, who sort of is one of the officers um, of four, I guess, office. I don't know. It seems there's a, there's a group, a trio. I don't know them all. Maybe there's more than a trio. Maybe it's very egalitarian. But he was my point of contact when I first got uh, associated with uh, Ford RPG and the Ford GM uh, group. Um, so it's Eric Babin. And he ran a game um, called, it was called, it was called Ford Mech Academy, and it was using the Mobile Suit Zero Firebrand's rule system, and it was it was very akin to me uh, to Fiasco, um, in that it was a more a, a lot of like collaborative storytelling. There's not a single uh, game master. Uh, there's someone who just sort of facilitates, and since he knew knew the, how the game ran, sort of helped us create the game. And it's kind of it's like this uh, futuristic uh, era where, uh, you know, kind of, I would say the, the setting is kind of like Battletech, these houses uh, and uh, they're kind of control the verse, but there's a rebellion and then there's mercenaries as well that all ride and drive mechs. So we kind of put up, put together a, a cute little story. I don't know, it's a cute little story. It's a very intriguing story actually, um, facilitated by all the characters. And it was pretty random what we came up with, but it was cool, it started at a sort of noble's ball, and then there was an attempted assassination, but the attempted assassination was really a diversion for uh, my character to steal a, um, some noble tech, some, a, a mech, like a, a stealth mech. And, and then the mercenary chased me and almost captured me, but I kind of won the chase. However, in the final scene, the mercenary uh, followed me and has Mecca jump across a cliff and he missed. And I showed, because my character was kind of kind as I developed, I helped the mercenary up and didn't uh, let him fall to his death. So then uh, later, you know, as I was sharing the tech with my co-conspirator uh, so that we could have this, so the rebels could have the stealth tech, uh, then, you know, the mercenary is there because he doesn't know what's, he doesn't know what's going on, and of course he would like to get stealth tech for his people too, because he saw that that we had it. And so we're like in this, you know, in this space orbital colony that does a lot of mining and manufacturing, right? This is a, heart, a hotbed of, of rebel sympathy. Uh, but then the uh, their noble from the original scene, or the you know the noble in the group, uh, or the noble among the players, a player made like a noble mech or mech warrior, um, kind of got wind of what was going on thought that the mercenary had betrayed him and brought his men to go stop him and capture him. Um, so we're in this bar, uh, like a, you know, like a, a rebel bar. <laughs> and the, the guy sends his like dragoons and a fight ensues, uh, but they're in rebel territory. But, but really the nobles after the mercenary 
and kind of um, impales him. Uh, I follow them into like the kitchen where they're they're fighting, and eventually I'm able to kind of take out the noble as well. Um, and and yeah, and then the rebels of course come and and drive away the noble dragoons uh, with their. The, it's like a fighting between mechs. Actually, the mercenaries brought their mechs to destroy, help destroy the dragoons, then turn their attention on the rebels. But then the the other player got the rebels, you know, uh, organized and gathered and kind of drove away uh, the mercenaries. So, uh, so yeah, one for the rebels, and uh, and it was good. But but that kind of story all came together, you know. Very minimum dice were only used like in an oracle way, yes or no. Um, does this happen, yes or no? And uh, so like 1d6, you know, higher or lower, kind of almost, you could use any dice, right? But 1d6 or ubiquity dice would be perfect for this. Um, so yeah, I had a really good time uh, running it, uh, short and sweet, but we came up with a really neat little story, neat little like mini adventure. And I thought that was pr uh, pretty fun. So I want to try to track down uh, the game system that we used, a mobile suit, zero firebrands. And you can actually... Like it does have a, uh, rules to create your little Lego mechs uh, to fight to fight them. So there's other scenarios other than what we did, and we kind of put together like yeah, to start with the solo, and then you work your way around the table, and everyone kind of does like a little scenario that engages one or more of the players, and then at the end we had a free for all. Uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. So uh, so yeah, so I was told by a wise person once named Jason Hobbs. I guess he's wise. He's got white hair, right? And like a white kind of whitish peppery goatee and he's shaved his head bald so he's like a little older like a almost like a, a monk and this wise man once said when you go to a con you should always play a game that you've never played before and i've never played this the next game i also played i never played before uh, so i will get to that and that was it was a game of um mystic kitties save the world but this was mystic kitties save the mars colony so I'll pause here and I'll get right back to it. Okay, officially the last game I played is Magical Kitty Save the Day, Mars Colony. That was the adventure that we played. And this was run by uh, GM Tyler. I'd never met him before. Uh, I met him there at Ford uh, Fest. He's part of the Ford RPG group up there in Dallas. And I really enjoyed this game. Very minimal rules, much akin to, I feel like, what does it seem like? Uh, it's, has, it's, it's run, it's made by Atlas Games, comes in box sets. And you know, you start, you have like the, I guess the original box has like a town and they have a various supplements, but the character sheet uh, seems akin to like, uh, I wanna say, oh man, I, it's a, it's a, one of those games that has like three stats. Um, I don't remember what other game kind of is like that, but uh, you have uh, fierce, cunning, and cute. It is a game about cats, magical cats, right? Um, and this was really fun. We were sent to Mars, so there's some things that cats. All the cats have magic. All the cats have a quirk. All the cats have like a like a talent as well and uh you just roll uh i think it's a a d6 and then you have bonus dice depending on if you're using your talent quirk or magic you cannot cast magic in front of, pe of humans because they don't know that you're magical because i would just 
break their their similitude and cause them to go insane or something and cats can talk to each other they can talk to other animals uh, and yeah so we were on mars and we had various misadventures on mars a lot of it kind of surrounding an artifact that we found that caused a technology to go quirky it had uh, messed up the humans like base that was there and one of the cats amy's character latched onto it and really it was really hard to get it away from amy's character her character was also like superstitious so when good things started happening to her character because of the thing she the necklace she didn't want to get rid of it and um and yeah my character was stubborn so i wanted to get after it uh, there was almost some like sort of pvp type of thing and all the other player characters wanted to get after it. But I guess eventually, when one character tried to pilfer it and was rolling like six dice and got no successes, then they said, well, I guess Amy's character, whatever she named, oh, Cindy Lou Who, she named her cat Cindy Lou Who. I was Lord Grayson. Um, I guess the fates were deciding that Amy's character got to keep this necklace. So eventually, uh, we also encountered these like weird little Martian-made robots I guess of the leftover things from Mars, um, we, and I think, you know, um, I guess I should have prefaced this by, oh, maybe I'll do it at the beginning. Anyway, uh, so sorry, too late for spoilers. I will put it earlier in the podcast, I hope, if I remember. But anyway, this is a published adventure, so, but it's kind of like a sandbox, right? So various things can happen, and the GM kind of decides ahead of time or rolls randomly what might happen. Um, we listened to if the humans had a plan. We heard that there was a human that went missing, like a geologist. And then some of our humans were related to that uh, geologist. So then we all um, kind of snuck out of the base or went with our, with our humans to go find their, their mother. Um, and we ended up in this weird sort of cave system with underground water. And we fought Martian spiders and uh we found uh the missing woman and it turns out that the key or the necklace was a key and this key helped us to find the secret way out of the situation of this cave system and then it turns out it was a key to help to um use these little martian robots to do stuff and these martian robots in combination with our magical powers out of the sight of the human were able to shore up the base to prevent you know a catastrophe which was a coming martian sandstorm so we really had a, a really good time to, it's, i would like to track down this game and it'd be really fun to play like at conventions or as one shots here and there um so it's a magical kitty save the day by atlas games I'll try to put these things in the show notes if I remember. Um, so I got to put Octoon Cthulhu, um, just the base book, because it's my own thing. Um, the fire, mobile's, mobile firebrand thingy, and then um, Magical Kitties Save the Day. So uh, I guess that's all. That's all, folks. Those are the games I played. Amy and I had a good time going up there. We, t- we went to a few breweries here and there, including, I say, my, well, a couple favorite breweries we, on the way back. One up in... I don't know where it was. Up in one up in Georgetown, Texas, called Barking Armadillo Brewery. Really good beers, uh, cool vibe. I bought a hat because it had a cool logo. You know, camouflage hat. I'm a, I'm a sucker for camo hats, especially camo trucker hats. And it had the logo of the Barking Armadillo. I went to another brewery uh, just in, north of Austin 
um, called um, Fifth Element Brewing. Really cool people, metalheads, and we got to chat with them for a while about music and beer. So it was really fun um, outing. Uh, a, lo a lot of good food. Maybe we ate too much. Uh, we, it was cool that after the event, we all went to this uh, taqueria nearby and all sat together and had you know some really good late night Mexican food because you know that's always fun. So um, so I had a, a really good time up there. I, these guys, it's great uh, that we're I've met these four GM guys. I'm gonna run stuff probably with them or helping them. I also run stuff at ChupacabraCon. Um, which is in May. Um, I already signed up for ChupacabraCon. I want to run like three games there, probably a Call of Cthulhu game uh, through the Cult of Chaos, another group, I'm, I'm another organization that runs games specifically for Chaosium up there. Maybe I'll run a, maybe I won't run, run, run a Call of Cthulhu. Maybe I'll run like Pendragon, one of their Pendragon scenarios or um, RuneQuest. But I also want to run a two-part Savage Worlds thing inspired by uh, the One Piece uh, anime slash live action show, maybe like a pirate superhero thing. So uh, I'll probably talk about development of that um, in the near future. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. This has been The Geomologist Presents. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you have comments. Uh, please shoot me a line at uh, geomologist at gmail.com. You can leave a voice message, send it there. Um, or a text message and I'll type out message, whatever, whatever that's called. And I will put it on, read it on the air, play it on the air. You can also DM me, a direct message me on the, on discord and send me a message there or same thing, you know, text message. And uh, I have a speak pipe account that I have linked here in the show notes. And what else do we need to tell you? Yes. TJ Drennan does the intro and outro music and my wife, Amy Lee, uh, who is a, apparently my partner in crime gaming wise too now um she went with me to this uh mini con and goes with me to chupacabra con so uh she uh did the cover clip art so thank you so much good night and good rolling